Hello, and welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, where we explore the beating heart of the industry and the people who make it thrive. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, and today we've got an absolutely fantastic episode lined up for you. But before we dive in, here's a quick reminder. Check us out at manufacturingculturepodcast.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram for more insightful updates and engaging content. A massive shout out to our sponsor, Spironi, for their unwavering support in bringing episodes just like this. Now, let's roll out the red carpet for our distinguished guest, Jim Vasilopoulos, a man whose resume reads like a blueprint for success. As the founder and CEO of Rafty Advisors, Jim has earned a reputation as a visionary leader and master strategist. He's not just a business advisor and executive coach. He's a catalyst for transformation, turning potential into performance and ideas into impact. Jim's journey has been nothing short of remarkable. He's the brains behind the helm, steering startups to launch successfully, guiding growth stage enterprises to accelerate their progress, and navigating established organizations through the complex challenges and strategic shifts. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Jim is also a seasoned speaker, imparting wisdom on leadership and innovation. His insights don't just echo in the boardrooms, they resonate in the hearts of his audience. He's co-hosted the popular show, The Leadership Podcast, sharing his expertise and experiences with a global audience. Education? Check. Jim graduated from the University of Illinois with a BS in mechanical engineering and holds an MBA from Marquette University. But it's not all work and no play for Jim. He's a dedicated family man, balancing the scales of professional excellence with personal fulfillment. And if you thought that was all impressive, wait until you hear about his book, Clarity, Business Wisdom to Work Less and Achieve More. This book isn't just a quick read. It's a revelation offering a pathway to success with less stress and more fulfillment, which we all need in life. So buckle up, listeners, as we gear up for a conversation brimming with insights, inspiration, and industrial innovation. Jim Vasilopoulos is in the house, and it will be an episode you don't want to miss. Hello, Jim. Welcome to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Thank you for joining me today. How is your Friday so far? Friday's great, and thank you for having me, and thank you for the uh, exceptionally humbling, uh, you know, <laughs> introduction. I'm just, I'm flattered. It's, uh, you know, uh, thank you. You're very welcome, Jim. You're very welcome. And this will be an easy episode because we're both named Jim. We just can say, hey, Jim, and both of us will look up, right? Um so I, I, I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really happy that that you and I were connected. Uh, we when we first uh, spoke last week, I, I said that I was waiting on your book. I'm still waiting, so I apologize. I haven't read the book, but it's supposed to be no here problem. today. Uh, so I do want to talk about it, though. Uh, give me a little insight and give the listeners a little insight onto what they can expect. Uh, but Jim, as we start. Uh, Every episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, we want to hear your story. 
what has been your journey to get you to where you are now? I mean, you've done a lot with a lot of other companies. You've done a lot in your career. You have a BS in mechanical engineering, which fits very well into the manufacturing culture world, right? So, so tell us about your journey. Yeah, I, I yeah, my journey is kind of funny. Is you know, is it started off in manufacturing, and you know, that's what I wanted to do. That's what kind of the degree I got in college. Um, I had some internships where I worked in machine shops and uh, manufacturing companies. And I thought like, you know, as a little kid, you watch how things are made. I was always really excited about that. There was always a segment in Mr. Rogers, like where they would show how something was made. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, that really drove my interest in learning how things were made. Um, And so I went to get an engineering degree and, um, uh, like I barely got it. I'll be honest with you. I went to like the university of Illinois and, uh, yeah, I got in there. I was kind of smart. And then, um, you know, some kids failed out and then I was a little less smart and some more kids failed out and I was a lot less smart. And, you know, by then I was like just the wrong amount of smart because by the time I realized maybe I should change majors, it was too late. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so it's like, I was like, guess I'm going to be an engineer. So, you know, I got through it. It was a tough program, pretty rigorous, but, um, and then, uh, you know, through the craziest set of events, um, I ended up getting a job, like a dream job, actually, uh, up at Allen Bradley in Milwaukee. I was um, mm-hmm. hired into this group that designed all their internal automation systems. And, yeah. you know, if as a company that sold automation, we got to do some really cool stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, that story of how I got that job is in the book. And it's one of like many stories, but it it's just kind of one of these crazy things that says like, Hey, you can play the game, right? You can play it any way you want, but sometimes you just got to like, look at alternative things. Um, you know, I did not get that because my grades were high. I did not get that job opportunity because I went through some system. It was just being in the right place at the right time and seizing the opportunity. And, um, you know, that started a career in manufacturing, which eventually introduced me to this cool thing that was uh, coming down the pipe called the internet. Um, I quickly saw how that was going to be kind of a big deal, jumped on that and started some companies and, um, you know, made the rest of my career in IT. And which was interesting because there was a moment when I was in college and I remember telling um, uh, my buddy, John, John Davis, he's, uh, you know, kind of a big deal now at Ford. Um, he, uh, I remember telling John, I said, John, after one of our CS classes, I said, I never want to do anything with computers or programming ever in my life that some other guy could do that. And uh, lo and behold, that's where I spent my whole career. No kidding. That's pretty yeah. amazing. And I love your point about uh, being in the right place and, and seizing the opportunity, right? Because I, I don't know if a lot of us do that in every day, in, in our everyday lives. I, I think that so often opportunities are presented to us because we are in the right place at the right time. And, and I think that a, a lot of us aren't aware of how to grab onto that and, and seize that opportunity. Does that resonate? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, well, let's just take a look at, let's say the intro you gave me is super humbling. Um, I get a little bit upset when I hear other people talk and they say, well, I guess I was just lucky. Hmm. Um, 
I don't think that's the way it works. I mean, sometimes, you know, you're in the right place at the right time, but I think more often than not, most people are in a good place at the right place at the right time. They just don't seize the opportunity. And I think, you know, if you were to take away, let's say one thing from our discussion today, just one, I'd say, have an open mind, be open to change. Um, have an open mind about like what's going on and consider that it might be going on for good reasons. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's when you have an open enough mind to seize opportunities, because I could tell you on any given day, even the people who think they've got the worst luck, things are put in front of them and they just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with you a hundred percent. Um, Tell us about Rafty Advisors before we dive into some some follow-up questions. Tell us about Rafty. Yeah. I mean, it's my little firm where I help other companies kind of run a playbook that I ran before and help them avoid the problems I made. I'm you know, one of these guys that's made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, I'm at this point now where it's like, hey, you know, if I can help you not do all the dumb things I did, you know, that'd be useful. <laughs> Um, and, uh, through the years you get better at what you're doing and you learn a lot and, um, you know, it's my way to kind of share lessons learned. Um, and I think that's the way we make anything better. And, and, you know, I think of all the disciplines out there, I think very few besides, let's say the military in the commercial world do as good a job about taking lessons learned and baking them back into their process than manufacturing. Um, You know, I will tell you in consulting and other kind of people businesses, they do not do enough like what you'd call in the military and after action report or what you'd call in, you know, um, you know, uh, maybe manufacturing some type of Six Sigma analysis or something like that. No one yeah. does that in other disciplines. And so, you know, that's why I think it's important to kind of give back. Yeah, no, I love that. I love that. And I, we talk a lot on this show about uh, failure right? Uh, mm-hmm. We're actually going to do an entire segment this fall. Uh, we're going to have the first annual Manufacturing Culture Podcast Failure Awards, where I talk about a lot of my failures and lessons learned and, and some guest failures and lessons learned, right? Um, and I'm going to ask the audience. So audience here, a little sneak peek collect your failures of the year and send them to me and I'll read them on the show and I'll award people, uh, some, some failure awards. So, um, but my whole mentality with failure is it's inevitable. It's going to happen. Failure happens to everybody. It's what you learn. It's what you take away. It's how you rebound from that failure that really defines part of your character, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's what you do with that experience. Um, you know, there's no one who gets a perfect ride. He gets a perfect trip, you know, through their career, through anything. Um, (laughs) so it's like, whatever happens, you know, what do you do when those mistakes come your way? How do you deal with it? Where's your mindset? You know, do you learn? Do you, um, shut yourself down? Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, and I'll be the first one to tell you, like, I don't like to fail. There's nothing about like losing or failing that I like. Um, right. But you have to acknowledge that it's part of the process. And to yeah. avoid failure is to never really push yourself. And I think yeah. that's the real crime is never really achieving your potential. So if you want to risk the reward, take the, you know, go after the reward, 
you have to take some risks that say there's potential for failure. Um, and, uh, if you play it too safe, you're just never going to do too much. You're going to do maybe enough, but never too much. Yeah. You're never really going to achieve that thing that it is that you're looking to achieve, whatever that may look like. Uh, it's that whole mindset of, uh, becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. I know I'm using a lot of colloquialisms here, but um, yeah, you, you have to be comfortable with that idea of failing. I hate failing. I don't promote failing. Uh, I just know that it's going to happen uh, in my journey. So it, it's what I learned from those failures that that really define me. Exactly. Um, so Jim, tell us about clarity. Again, before we dive in, uh, I want more background on you. Um, tell us about the book. How did that come about? Uh, is this, uh, you know, you said there were stories of, of getting your first job at Alan Bradley in there. Uh, is it successes and failures? What, what's the book uh, about? Well, most of the stories about me are, are pretty humbling and somewhat humorous and very self-deprecating. So, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's some laughs in there. Um, but it's not really entirely – I have got five sections in the book, and each section has a personal story in it. Um, okay. You know, that's pretty much the limit of most of my personal stories. Um, but in those – in the book, what I try and help people with is the value that my customers, the people I work with, my clients find in what I bring throughout our discussions. And they say, like, I just see the world more clearly. You know, it's like, I I see what I need to do next or, you know, this stuff that was so confusing beforehand. Now that we've worked together, we've had a conversation or we've kind of talked through that issue. um, I kind of know what to do next or I understand it better. And so what I wanted to do is say, like, what is it in the way that I look at things, it allows me to help people see the world clearly. And so I broke it down into these five sections. And, you know, the first section talks about like the kind of symptoms I kind of see when we're looking at business problems. Um, and they're pretty common, you know, the, the cross industries, you know, the same kind of problems crop up. It's not every problem you're going to run into every kind of symptom, but it's, you know, I think the key is, is there are a lot of things we think are actual business problems but they're actually Mm -hmm. symptoms of other problems. And just not understanding that keeps you from ever really getting to the core issue. Um, Then I talk about some common business problems in the second section um, and try and define them so you can understand them. Uh, We go into the kind of uh, mental uh, blocks that get in your way of seeing things clearly, whether it's emotions or cognitive biases um, and how they play games with the way you perceive the world. Um, And just being aware of that can make you a little more clear headed. Um, And then we get into um, some talk about, let's say, uh, time and how a lot of times we take a look at stump stuff and say like, well, we should we do this or should we not do it? And we make these binary decisions like, well, let's not do that or let's do this. But really, we take away this one option we've got, which is really one of the more powerful options, which is, yeah, we should do this just not yet. And so, um, you know, so instead of like getting into these big fights with people, but like, we're going to turn your idea away and, you know, we think it's a bad idea. So it's a great idea, just not now. And so understanding like timing and patience is, is important. Then the last section goes into kind of, uh, understanding, um, 
how it all gets put together and you know okay. how all these pieces fit together and how you can help yourself and help others find clarity but i think the big thing about this is you know having done the leadership podcast for a long time yeah. uh if someone asks me let's say hey jim you're 400 episodes in what do you remember i really remember the stories okay i remember the stories people told i don't remember the acronyms they gave me I don't remember, you know, some particular perspective on, you know, any issue that they told me. It's like, I remember the meaningful stories. And I think we learn through stories. So in the book, I've got these fictional stories, which are kind of like case studies, but they're, they're, they're richer. They're more entertaining. um, (laughs) That walks through some fictional characters. And I think they're memorable and allows you to kind of see how this process works um, and how people can work together to solve big problems. And I think it's just, uh, it's a different take on a business book. And so far people have really enjoyed it. Awesome. That's phenomenal. Uh, I want to touch on something you said in there, uh, section one, you're you're talking about uh, symptoms. It almost sounded like a medical term, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, how do you, diagnose and treat those symptoms when it comes to professional lives or, or uh, leadership, company culture, manufacturing? How, how do you diagnose and, and treat those, those symptoms? Well, I mean, the first thing is you have to recognize what's a symptom and what's not. And we use a lot of medical analogies in the book because I think they're powerful. Um, sure. You know, analogies are the kinds of things that help people understand more complex things more easily. And so, you know, what we try and do is say, hey, um, you may be having an issue with, uh, let's say, being too busy. Um, And uh, being too busy is really a lot like being dehydrated, you know? Mm. Um, You know, it's the kind of thing that, like, you don't always remember, (laughs) you know, (laughs) you don't think about it. Um, So you got to be reminded to drink. Um, You know, there are a lot of others. I'll get to a few others I think are really more powerful. I like profitability. Uh, profitability is a symptom. And the one thing about all the symptoms is to understand if something's a real problem or a symptom, symptoms are outcomes. Okay. So an outcome of bigger problems is being too busy. An outcome of, let's say, a profitability is, you know, it's an outcome. Okay. There's a reason why you're either very profitable or unprofitable. Okay. Um, and so, and it's kind of the reason why a medical symptom applies there really well is because it really, uh, goes well with fatigue because you tend to have profitability problems at the edges. Okay. If you're really, let's say fatigued, it might be because you're leading a sedentary lifestyle. Your business is not healthy, but you could also have a business that's like going gangbusters. Okay. (laughs) Um, and you're like one of these people is running ultra marathons and all that stuff, but you're fatigued because you're trying to do too much. Um, and you can have profitability issues then too. So it really tracks well with that kind of symptom. I think the one that applies really well to our discussion today and the topic that's really the core of your, um, podcast is, um, culture and culture is something a lot of business gurus talk about is like, this is the problem we need to solve. And I, I would disagree. I think culture is a symptom. It's a symptom of other things. 
And you don't have, let's say, a good culture or a bad culture. I think uh, the way I look at it is you have either a healthy or a weak culture you know, or a sick sure. culture. And um, that's why it tracks really well with kind of your immune system. Um, and so, you know, a, a company that a person that has a really strong immune system, they can deal with a lot of stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they still stay healthy. Someone who has a compromised, a very weak immune system, it doesn't take much. The flu can take them down. Okay. And so you look at this and you say, um, the same thing is with businesses. You know, if you have a healthy culture, you can deal with a lot of adversity. You can deal with a lot of change. You could deal with, you know, volatile market conditions. But if you have a sick culture, um, it doesn't take much to really knock your company off its game. The reason why it's an outcome is because you can't really affect a culture just like you can't, you know, you can't change it. I can't change your immune system. I can give you a, a, an inoculation or something like that, but you're still your immune system. It's, it's, it's kicking it into gear. It's not yeah. a change to it. Um, in the same way, like I can't even replace it just like I can't replace a culture without like really expensive, costly, nasty stuff. And, you know, some people who deal with blood cancers and things like that have to go through that, but that's, you know, takes you pretty close to death. No one's going to yeah. do that in business. Um, and I really think that your culture is the culmination of decisions you make on a daily basis, much like your immune system is the culmination of decisions you make on a daily basis. Do you eat healthy? Do you exercise? Do you take care of yourself? Do you take precautions you know, to, to keep yourself healthy? Do you get inoculated for the things you should get inoculated for? If you do all those things, you're going to be healthy. If you do all the right things in your business, you're going to have a good culture. Um, you know, you're going to say, hey, um, is quality truly job one? Or it's like, ah, it's the end of the month. We need to make our numbers. Put it through. Put yeah. it through. It's good enough. Okay. Those right. are the kinds of decisions that really affect your culture. And so understanding when you're dealing with a symptom versus a true problem is essential in having a clear picture of what you should do next and what you're really dealing with. Because we can get distracted by symptoms all day long. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. And uh, the listeners of the podcast and viewers on YouTube, whatever, um, will definitely be able to remember me saying this because I've said it over and over and over again. I view culture as simply the alignment of values between an organization and its employees, the values of their employees, right? It, it can be broken down at that simply. And to your point, at, when you look at it that way, it's not a symptom, right? It, it, it's, it's truly uh, something else. Um, and, and, and it goes it flows very well with your line of thinking, right? You can't necessarily change it. Every organization has a culture. They just may not like the culture that they have because they have misalignment of values between the organization and the employees. If they're pushing through bad quality parts at the end of the month, that's misalignment of values, right? That That's a character flaw. That's integrity issues. That's that's misalignment. So uh, I, I, I really like your, your take on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, and you know, the interesting thing about that is 
I would just challenge everyone who's listening to kind of think this one through, you know, uh, misalignment between, let's say, uh, a company and its, its people. Um, you know, a lot of times people view two groups of people, like the company is represented by leadership and management and the people are by the people on the workers. Okay. Right. And you could listen to that statement. You could say, well, you know, the workers want to do the right thing and leadership push it through because we need to make our numbers this month. And that would be a, a standard kind of one you could think through. But 100%, 180-degree viewpoint could also be true. It could be management saying, hey, quality is job one. And you know, people saying like, oh, it's the end of the week, it's the end of the month, you know, um, let's just get this one off the line. You know, My bonus uh, is dependent on this going out or, or something, right? Yeah. Or it could be the workers just like, hey, yeah, I mean, it, it used to be like, don't buy a car that was made on Monday, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> after the Super Bowl, or don't get a car yeah. that's made on Friday, you know, because people are like just thinking about going home. I mean, yeah. it, the stroke goes both ways. And so the reality is, is um, it's just, it's, it's really what do you do when the chips are down? Like, what yeah. do you do on Monday after the Super Bowl? What do you do on Friday afternoon? Do you still treat something with the same quality that you would on, you know, um, Tuesday midday? Um, yeah. And that's really when you know who someone truly is. And um, yeah. that's, you know, the culture is a great measure of who you really are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've had a lot of experience, you know, cold emails and, and being told that soft skills culture don't have a place in manufacturing. Um, my view is people who don't understand things are typically afraid of them. So they don't want to talk about company culture or soft skills because uh, business leaders in any industry uh, may not necessarily understand either A, how to measure uh, the ROI of soft skills and, and company culture. Um, and they may not understand what having a, a healthy culture means. Um, what is your take on the best way for manufacturers or, or really anybody who's listening to this to be able to measure uh, the impact of soft skills and, and culture within their organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of take exception when people say like, Oh, soft skills don't have a place like in manufacturing. It's, you know, one of those things where like I was in the manufacturing in the late eighties, early nineties. And, you know, the culture was way different then too, you know, where it was yeah. like, okay, that was more like most of the um, manufacturing leadership at that time was like, uh, a lot of them were like Vietnam era veterans, you know, they were just tough guys to work for. Um, and, uh, but soft skills were super important then. And they always yeah. have been because, and they always will be because anytime you're dealing with people, like, it's not like the people in manufacturing are different. You know, <laughs> it's not like they're like, oh, I, I don't have feelings. Maybe you mask them a little better and maybe it, you can have, you know, certainly um, it, it, you know, it's people maybe not are as delicate as maybe the, the office workers are. But the reality yeah. is there's still people, people's feelings get hurt. People like to be asked, you know, thank, please and thank you. It's, you know, all the good things that go with that. I, I think the real issue, though, if you take a look at, let's say, manufacturing and even the entire labor force right now, people operate based on the strength and pull of the workforce. Okay. 
So if you can go out and hire a replacement worker, no problem in 24 hours, I'm not saying you should, but you can probably get away with treating people poorly because yeah. you, you can replace them very easily. Right. Um, and so if you take a look at what has changed in the many years that we've you know, had manufacturing be strong in this country, um, certainly you can't just replace workers as easily in large part because anything that's here, let's say in the United States, is pretty sophisticated at this point. You know, there's yeah. very little just pure assembly work. And even then, um, everything is way more complicated than it used to be, you know, 40 yep. years ago. Um, not only that, uh, the competition to get workers right now in the workforce uh, demographics are such that it's hard to find workers. There is probably no manufacturing company that doesn't have, let's say, this love-hate relationship with their temp agencies trying to get people to, you know, fill spots and try and have them not only be competent, but then stick. And yep. so, you know, when you find those good people, you want to take care of them because yeah. they can be the difference between a good month, a good week, a good day, hitting your numbers and not hitting your numbers. And so there is just no downside to treating people well. Um, yeah. And it's honestly, there's no downside in life. It doesn't matter about manufacturing or anything else. Like just treat people well, period. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Always. Absolutely. What you brought up in, in I think it was uh, an answer two questions ago, um, about leadership and the role of leadership in, in steering the culture. Um, let's dive into that a little bit because uh, I, I'm a firm believer that in my you know view of culture being alignment of values, leadership's job is to make sure that there is that alignment between the organizational values and uh, the employees and and the leadership team really needs to live those values day in and day out. Tell me about your view of the role of leaders within an organization in shaping and and living that that company culture. Yeah, I think you know the interesting thing about leadership is, and you know, granted, got the podcast on leadership. We've been studying it for years. Um, it's really hard to put your finger on. I mean, we can come up with any number of definitions, but I, I think this episode is brought to you by Speroni. Revolutionize your shop floor with Speroni, where cutting edge technology meets craftsmanship. Elevate precision, amplify productivity. Speroni, experience, tradition, the future. The element of leadership I always like to put out there. Um, is that it's a balance. Okay. Um, and it's a balance of many different things. So when you take a look at, let's say leadership, it's a balance between like holding people accountable, but still giving them the freedom to have some autonomy. Okay. So, you know, you say, Hey, here's the way we should do things. But then you also want people to be creative a little bit. Okay. Um, and to have some ability to kind of give their own feedback and input on how things are going. Um, yep. So it's this always constant push and pull of balancing things. Um, you know, I want to give people um, direction, but I don't want to stifle them. I want to give people support, um, but I also want to hold them accountable. Okay. Yeah. I want people to make mistakes, but I don't want people to make too many mistakes, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so you sit there and you say, 
it's never really one thing or the other. It's managing a balance. And the thing about balance is if you think about learning to ride a bike, it's not like, okay, I balanced, I'm done. Okay. You're constantly balancing. Okay. If you stop at any given point when you're like, you know, stop the balancing process, you fall out of balance, you fall down, bad things happen. So leadership is one of these things that it's, you know, it's balancing a lot of different dynamics all at the same time. Uh, There's no right one answer because every situation is different and it's volatile and it's changing. And so it's, it's really a feeling, you know, if you were to ask me, like, describe like what it's like to ride a bike and I were to give you, let's say, you know, a manual on how to ride a bike and how to balance, like you could read that till you're blue in the face. You could have a perfect memory. You're never going to understand what it's like to feel balance and ride a bike. You have to experience it. And that's why people know when they're behind a good leader, they, ex- they know what it's like. They know what it feels like. And they know when yep. they're not being led by someone who is good at what they're doing from a leadership perspective. It's, yep. it's this constant feeling of like, we're in balance. Mm-hmm. And someone is caring about maintaining the balance between all these really delicate things that, you know, deal with every aspect of how we do our job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think manufacturing needs to do a better job as an industry as a whole in developing future leaders. Um, I know that some of the larger organizations within this industry, they have defined leadership programs, right? Um, But I think to your point, even people who are going through that, because they don't have that lived experience yet, they can't necessarily they're they're not necessarily going to come out of those those leadership development courses and and be a good leader right i think that uh going back to our original conversation or one of the original points of this conversation failure right i i didn't learn how to lead until i led and failed at leading and mm-hmm. then went back to an individual contributor role and rebooted myself and then went back into leadership years later. Right. Do you see a lot of that out there uh, with, with the companies you work with? I mean, there's always been a lot of that. Okay. Um, And so, you know, and, and I think there are two things at play that kind of concern me with, let's say, um, you know, leadership development in the last, let's say 20, 30 years. Uh, one of them is uh, we flattened organizations tremendously, okay? So we used to have a lot of layers of middle management. And some of the best leadership lessons I learned were, you know, because I had a, a manager, supervisor, and they never had like 50 direct reports, 20 direct reports. So I was like five. Um, yeah. And they were able to put their arm around you, spend some time. We weren't all jammed up in meetings all day long because we were so super busy. And uh, yeah. they were able to say like, hey, you know, you kind of hammered that young tech working for you. And, you know, I don't think you realize like you went about that all wrong. You should go talk with them and do this, that, blah, blah, blah. So we've gotten rid of middle management in many ways. And, um, it, it, that the learnings happen differently. You know, what do you learn on the job is so much more impactful than what you learn in a course. Okay. And I'm a guy who teaches stuff like that, you know, but I'm going to tell you, you're you're only going to get so much out of let's say uh, uh, even a week long course, 
Um, and so that is, you know, a bit problematic. Um, the other kind of, let's just say macro trend when it comes to kind of leadership and leadership development, um, is that, uh, we've gotten to the point where I don't think we tolerate mistakes too well. Um, and so we don't tolerate allowing people to have some movement to learn. Uh, we're always trying to find that person who's, you know, having the perfect game. Um, there's no restart button, like on a video game, you know, you can't restart. And so, and, and one of the problems that goes with that, um, because we're looking for the perfect game is we come up with these really stupid one size fits all rules that like have no flexibility. Um, and so we talked about leadership being a balance, but we come up with these, you know, one size fits all rules, like who's to say this level of performance is good across the board for everyone who is, you know, out there to say like, Hey, um, this person, you know, um, made this judgment call. It was a fair judgment call, but because it violates some, you know, kind of like tenant within the, the, the organization, um, you know, we have to let him go or, you know, you're going to get, um, a performance improvement plan. You're going to get a pip on you and that's going to affect your promotion and your, your scores. It's like, sometimes people just need to be given some grace because Mm -hmm. the situation demands it. And like, I think the example probably everyone's like, you know, most aware of is like, um, you know, if you have like a daughter and she goes to school and she, she can't take something, um, she can't take an aspirin with her, you know, on the days when, you know, she needs to have an aspirin with her, um, she's got to go to the nurse to get it. It's like, come on, you know, because she brought drugs into the school. Come on. Are you kidding me? That's just my, my nine-year-old took a cough drop to school and was told by the school nurse that he couldn't give himself a cough drop. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I mean, and, but we do that in our businesses too. You know, yeah. we come up with these crazy policies and it's just like, wait, hold on. Um, yeah. you know, and you know, I don't know if that's lawyers or just, you know, feckless management, but, um, the reality is, we need to be able to use our judgment because leadership and good leadership is about using judgment at the right time, not just being the same at everything. Um, yeah. It's about being fair and balanced, not about being entirely it, consistently fair and balanced, not consistent in action. Um, yeah. That's there's a big difference. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I. I really like that statement you just made. I, <clears throat> that could be the clip of the episode, Jim. Um, I liked it a lot, so much so that I forgot what I was going to ask you. Uh, talk to us about uh, more of what you see culturally within some of your clients, some of the uh, common cultural challenges that you see out there that businesses make. And, and it could be in manufacturing clients of yours, or it, it could be outside of the manufacturing worlds. But what 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 are some of those common cultural issues? Um, you know, here's an interesting one. I I think, um, and this applies across almost every industry, but you know, it really applies to anything where you've got um, sought after skills. Okay, um, we hire for skills because we need someone with a particular set of skills. Okay. I need someone who knows how to weld or I need someone who knows how to program a certain language or, you know, all these different things. And so we hire for those things. Um, and we, 
put those far and above ahead of hiring for the things that really matter. Like, do you have good values? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. is this person curious? Is this person, you know, um, all these characteristics that are really hard to train and teach. And they're the exact same characteristics that we end up using most of our management time on. Like, hey, this person is like, uh, you know, um, kind of a little bit of a backstabber, or this person's, mm-hmm. you know, a very passive aggressive, cr- creates a lot of problems with people. Like, for me to get someone to stop being, you know, passive aggressive or being culturally difficult, um, that requires a lot of work. For me to train someone else on how to run a CNC machine or how to program in a certain language is a lot less complicated. I can teach that, especially to someone who's got good values. Um, And so, but we prioritize the wrong things because, you know, we don't want to invest that time training. But the reality is, you know, if you can find somebody who's got the great values and the skills, fantastic. Hire them, you know, great. And hold on to them. (laughs) And hold on to them. Treat them well. But if they don't have the right values, even if they got the skills, it's like, I'm not sure that's a great hire. Um, now, I'm not going to say anyone can't change and people can't improve themselves and people can't change, but there are very few organizations that have the time and the bandwidth and the uh, excess you know, energy to take on projects okay, sure. that are people related. Um, and yeah. so, you know, have eyes wide open when you take on a project because you're going to have to commit someone almost full time to, to to help make sure they take root properly. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I agree. Uh, and, and that's been a common theme on the show is is higher on values. Uh, I've had multiple guests come on talking about that. Um, and, and it's an interesting dichotomy because in this industry for a lot of years with the skills gap that we face, uh, a lot of companies are just hiring the first person that can fog a mirror that walks through the door, right? So this whole concept of now starting to look at what people do value when they walk in the door, not necessarily just their skill set, it's it's difficult for for a lot of these these owners and presidents of the, the organizations in this industry. Um, and, and so I'd love to see them again get outside of their comfort zone stop the status quo and, and just hiring and and being used to uh new training classes every two weeks or whatever they may have at their facility right um how can how can owners presidents hiring managers uh make that switch in that approach because I, I think that it's talked about, but I don't know if a lot of people know how to make that change in approach because they do need people so so desperately. I, I, well, there are some companies that I think are doing a fantastic job, um, but I'd say people know how to do this already. They just have to apply it in manufacturing, let's say. So yeah. let's take a look at manufacturing and uh, you know, I'm going to make some generalizations here. But there are a fair amount of people who hunt fish in manufacturing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, what do you need to do if you're a hunter or a fisherman? Okay. Um, you need to make sure you don't overhunt and overfish, right? So, you yeah. go out there and you say, hey, you can only catch so many, or if it's, you know, this size fish, you got to throw it back, or you can only hunt during this time of year and you might have a tag with for how many, you know, 
a particular duck or geese you can shoot, whatever. It's all about managing an ecosystem. Okay. How many companies out there just take for granted the ecosystem of talent? Okay. Mm. Are they actually talking about like to the local technical college and say like, Hey, are you doing, you, you know, creating a curriculum that's useful for me? Um, are they out there talking to schools and people saying, Hey, technical careers are important. Not everyone goes to Princeton. Okay. Right. Uh, not everyone should, you know, get the engineering degree. There are people who need to learn how to do these other things. These are great careers as well. Um, you know, if you're out there trying to manage and improve your ecosystem, God bless you. You're doing the right things. But if you're not, and then you're sitting there upset with the ecosystem and then upset with the people you can hire because they don't have the right values or there aren't enough people with the skills and the values. It's because you have not, you have neglected your ecosystem for too long. And so what you, and, and you can create an internal company ecosystem as you suggest, suggested, Jim, like, Hey, you know, we might have to do training twice, a, you know, every other week because we have to create that internally. But don't just create it internally. Go out and say, what can I do in the community to make this better? Because, um, you know, I don't think it's any big surprise. It's like, you know, people would rather have the, the cushy desk job and the air conditioning than, you know, sometimes the, the job on the shop floor. Um, but we yeah. need those things to, to get the work done. So right. you need to look at your environment and your ecosystem and get involved. And that's real leadership. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, Jimmy, we're talking about uh, in the book, I think it was the third or fourth section, you were talking about time management. Um, am, am I right in remembering that? Uh, yeah, the fourth section, we're talking about a timing and sequencing yeah. timing and patience. Yeah. Okay. Um, talk to us about that construct, right? Um, because I know that Again, uh, my past experiences, I, um, I, ha- I worked for an organization and I was young and I had a lot of ideas and I ended up leaving that organization because instead of saying great idea, wrong time or great idea, why don't you develop it so we can figure out if it's the right time? I was told no constantly. And I ended up leaving that organization. Uh, Talk to us more about that construct and how that can help build that employee engagement within an organization. Well, strangely, I will tell you, um, I left manufacturing, I decided to leave manufacturing for a very similar reason. Yeah, there were a lot of things going on. Like I didn't like moving all the plants overseas and stuff like that. That was no fun. Um, But uh, we I was involved and, you know, I got promoted and I was doing well and I got into new product development. Um, and we were bringing some really cool new products to market and they were some of the most important ones for the company. And I was on this team and, you know, we had these super tight deadlines and it was an exciting place to be. You know, we were on a lot of spotlights on us and we knocked it out of the park. Like we brought (sighs) products to market like months earlier than they should have been. And every month you brought a new product like that to the market early was a huge hit, you know, to the top line and the bottom line of the company. And afterwards they created like this blue ribbon committee and they said, okay, we want to find out what you guys did to, to make this happen. Cause we need to spread this all over the company. And then like we told them, they're like, 
you know, well, how'd you get those parts, you know, your sample parts to do your prototypes? We just put them on personal expense, personal credit cards and expensed them. They're like, well, you can't do that. We're like, well, that's what we did, you know? Um, and like, did, did it get a, you know, proper quality exam coming through? We're like, you know, it was a prototype. We didn't need to do that yet. You know, we'll right. do it later on the production parts, but we didn't want to slow down the, the, the R and D process. And so right. we, we broke all the rules. We didn't follow any of the rules. And like, people wanted to know genuinely, like, what did you do? This is amazing. But then when we told them, they're like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And I was like, well, yeah. you asked, I mean, come yeah. on. Um, and so that was like the day where I was just like, okay, I could stick around and wait 30 years to, you know, get this stuff through, but I got a little disillusioned and that's when I, you know, the internet kind of caught my attention because I saw some guys doing some cool stuff with it. But, yeah. um, the reason why I tell that story is like, here's you and me both getting disillusioned from a company and like going to do something else. Yeah. From a leadership standpoint, like, gosh, something's going wrong there, you know? Absolutely. Um, now, getting back to, I think, your original question, like this sequencing timing and patience in that you know, like fourth section, um, you know, we kind of talked about it already because a lot of times we just say yes or no to something instead of saying not yet. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. um, I found in all my years of working with people, you know, mo it's kind of like office space. I mean, the consultants come in and, you know, they just ask people what we should do and people tell them and then they go write a report and everyone's like, yeah. isn't that what the hell we just told everyone to do? <laughs> um, but people know the right things to do. Uh, the problem is a lot of times we do them in the wrong order. Um, and it. so it's, it's all about doing things in the right order and understanding dependencies and understanding, you know, what gets you, you know, in some cases, like a, an immediate impact, which helps you build momentum so that you can do other things. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of reasons why you might do things in a different order, but that's really part of the art of sure. trying to get things done is knowing the right order to do them in. And then once you know the right order, sometimes you have to know the right time to do them. Okay. Mm. So, and one of the examples I always use is there's, it takes the same amount of effort to hit a home run or a foul ball. Okay. No yeah. difference in effort. The only difference is timing. And yeah. so you can do things at the right time and have a disproportionate effect on your business, uh, but you have to know the right time. So you have to know what are the things that tell me this is the right time. So you have to have a lot of awareness and a lot of businesses don't spend the time on developing that level of awareness, but your best salespeople, your best engineers, your best people, they have a knack for timing. You need mm -hmm. to spend time figuring out that timing because that is really when you work less and achieve more. Um, yeah. And if you know how to do things in the right order and at the right time, then you just have to make sure you've got the patience to be able to wait long enough. Yeah. You know, um, I like it. and patience is tough because patience is, is, you know, as I say in the book and, you know, I didn't think it was that important when I wrote it, but a lot of people have said like, oh, that was one of my favorite lines um, is uh, patience is the truest form of confidence. Ooh, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, apparently other is people that, do too. <laughs> is that what you would say is, is one of the key messages you'd like people to take away from the book? Well, there are a lot of them. 
Um, but that that's one definitely is, you know, it's, you know, we're, we have a society that's built on action and, uh, sometimes, you know, I'm not against action. You know, I'm a very action oriented guy, but it's like knowing when it's like, be patient. So you hit the home run instead of the foul ball. Um, and, uh, that's really, you know, if you want to work less and achieve more, you have to have that confidence. It's like, I'm going to take this pitch because I know a better one's coming next. Like, okay. don't just swing at the first pitch. Don't even swing at the second pitch. Wait for your pitch. I think there's a, um, you know, I think Ted Williams wrote the book on hitting. And, yeah. uh, you know, one of his rules was don't swing at a pitch that's not yours. Like, only swing at the pitches you like. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, Jim, what are three things in, in your expertise? that manufacturers could do to change their culture internally? You know, I'm not going to say this is even just manufacturers, okay? But I think if you want to change a culture, it's easier to change it from a leadership standpoint, you know? Sure. Um, I'd say be more curious, okay? Um, you know, leadership, and, and a lot of times manufacturers got this very top-down directive type culture. Um, yeah. I think, you know, from a leadership standpoint, it's like, be curious, ask people why, engage yeah. them, have them explain why, um, you know, you can solve more problems with questions than directives and you can inspire people more with questions than direction directives. And so be curious, ask lots of questions and then listen, you know, <laughs> and, and it's a lot easier if you're truly curious. Um, yeah. you know, if you just say, give me the five questions to ask. I'll go ask them. Like, you know, I've seen people do gamble walks where they just ask the same questions over and over. They really don't care. They just like, this is the question I'm supposed to ask. And then as soon as they get any answer, they move on. It's like, right. no, um, you know, keep digging. <laughs> aren't you curious? You know, didn't yeah. you listen to the answer? There's something there. You need to keep digging. Exactly. Um, so I say, you got to truly listen, but good listening starts with, you know, curiosity. Um, and, uh, really place a high premium on not just living your values. We kind of talked about that earlier, but like, what are they? Like truly, what are they? Um, and challenge yourself. Like it's maybe it's, they're not the platitudes that are on the wall. Maybe they're not the stuff that's on the website. What are they? And then get real with that. And then, then you can change your culture. If you don't, um, I always talk about it's kind of like um, anytime you're listening to music and somehow like uh, the stereo is off, this, this tracks, the left and right tracks are off, um, yeah. you know, especially if you're like at an outdoor concert, it just like, it doesn't sound good. Um, yeah. And so when your actions don't match up with your words or your, you know, your mission statements, it just sounds bad. Um, even if like, and this problem's like big now that it, then it, bigger than it used to be because now, you know, no one's got cable, everyone's streaming their TV. Every once in a while you're watching a TV show and like uh, the audio isn't in sync with the person's voice. Oh, like that I will drive that. you insane. Okay. Yep. And I mean, can you get through it? Sure. But it just doesn't feel good. It's not right. That's the same. Some people can. I can't. <laughs> I can't. I turn it off. <laughs> I, yeah. I like, I like, oh, let me update this. Let me update that. Let me restart everything, you know, because I can't deal with it. 
but it's yep. the same thing with culture. You know, if, if there's no, if things aren't in sync, like you just lose everyone. And yeah. so you really have to know what it is you truly value, what it is you say you value, get those aligned and then live it. Um, because it. even if they are aligned, it doesn't come through that way to the people on the floor, to the people you lead. Um, it's going to be as frustrating as that video. And they're going to be like, whatever, turn it off. When they turn that off, they turn you off. Yep. Absolutely. Um, thanks for sharing those, Jim. Uh, what haven't I asked you that you want to share with the audience? Gosh, I don't know. I mean, there's so much. Um, I'd say I, think uh, I need to have you on again, Jim. I, I don't think uh, one hour was enough to to cover all the t- the topics. I find myself feeling like I need to rush just to hit this hour mark. Uh, so we'll we'll have you on again uh, later sure. this year. Yeah, yeah. But get yeah, one, get a chance to kind of walk through um, you know the book. You'll probably have a bunch of questions. Um, yeah. You know, I I hope people um, you know find it useful. Um, and I hope they like the stories because really stories are the things that like, if someone's going to listen to this podcast, they're not going to remember like half the stuff I said, they're going to remember like the stupid stories I told about like crashing and burning when I was in school or, <laughs> you know, um, you know, or the analogies, like, you know, the, the yeah. video and the soundtrack not matching. That's what people remember. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I look back on season one, my first year of doing this, this podcast, 50 episodes, the, the stories to your point, when we first jumped on here, you were talking about, you guys have done 400 episodes. It's the stories that you remember. It's that's, that's really it. And, and that's what I think our listeners take away from it as well. Um, Before I wrap up, plug your podcast and your book real quick. What's, what's a podcast? The podcast is the leadership podcast. And if you just type in the leadership podcast.com, you'll go to our website. You can find it. It's on all the platforms, whatever. Um, lots of great. good stuff there. Some really cool people. Um, it's been a great honor to talk with so many of them. It's been totally fun. Um, That's awesome. And the book, uh, everything you need to find is at uh, a website businesswisdom.com. So just businesswisdom.com. You can find the book, you can find everything you need there. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of good free information that you can link to from there, which is, you know, enjoy it. I, I'm really impressed with your.com on that businesswisdom.com. I don't know if I've come across somebody who had a more appropriate website than you do in that one. That's awesome. Well done. Thank sir. you. Way wait, wait to score on that one. Businesswisdom.com. All right. Well, folks, that's a wrap on today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Jim, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day uh, for to, to talk with me and, and spend some time with us today. I, I really appreciate it. This was an awesome conversation. Yeah, I'm honored. Thank you very much. Loads of fun. Absolutely. Your wisdom on leadership, uh, timing, balancing personal success or professional success with personal well-being uh, is a game changer for any organization, whether you're in manufacturing or not. Um, folks, remember, you can relive this episode and explore more content by visiting manufacturingculturepodcast.com. Dive into our rich archive of conversations that will inspire and motivate you in your professional journey. 
a special shout out again to Spironi for their incredible support and sponsorship. Their commitment to excellence mirrors our mission to bring you the best in thought leadership and industry insights. Now, our fantastic listeners, if you found today's episode as enlightening and inspiring as I did, please share it with your friends, your colleagues, your boss, anyone who's passionate about passionate about cultivating a vibrant company culture, uh, the manufacturing industry, or human beings in general. Your support means the world to me and helps spread the message of positive change across the industry. And before you go, don't forget to rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. It's not for my ego. I don't even look at that stuff, but I do know that the more you rate and review, the quicker we go up the charts and more people will find us. It also helps us grow and bring you top-notch content tailored to what you want to find out about. Thank you again for tuning in to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes this year where we will continue to explore the industry's heartbeat and the people driving it forward. Until next time, keep innovating, keep inspiring, and keep making a difference in the world of manufacturing. Have a great day and keep making things.